welcome to a new episode of Mental Health University. Yes, we changed the name. I uh, figured we'd use a title that got directly to the point of what uh, it is that we're trying to accomplish here, and that is to help college students throughout their semester increase awareness to mental health concerns affecting college students, how to get help, and really have the best college experience possible. I want to welcome my co-host Libby again. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right. You know, uh, I was away in Florida playing golf, which I'm sure you would appreciate for four days in 85 degree weather. That sounds amazing. It was very amazing. And uh, then I come back and it's cold uh, in the Northeast. But it, it kind of segues into a topic that I know is important to you and, and certainly me as well to, to really discuss. And and that's the topic of, of depression on college campuses and among college students. Absolutely. I think it's something very important to talk about. One of those mental illnesses that no one really wants to talk about. It's very scary to say you're depressed or that you're feeling depressed and it's hard to go seek help for that. So hopefully we're here today to give you some tips and tricks to help you out and get you out of a rut if that's something you're going through. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of the top five, um, probably the most, probably the top two, um, most commonly cited mental health complaints among college students, you know, anxiety being the first and depression holds hands with anxiety, right? So we think of those as kind of related. One often occurs with the other, but depression is certainly up there. And uh, I agree with you that it's, um, real challenging for a lot of people to uh, acknowledge it and ask for help and really understand it and how that it is a different experience for each person. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is it is it something that, you know, on your campus, you know, at LaSalle, like, are, are they making students aware of it? Is there a lot you know, in terms of, you know, website presence or messaging that they're doing on campus? I honestly don't hear a lot about it. And that's what really makes me say that it's the hardest thing to reach out about because I've never heard any one of my classmates, teammates, colleagues say the word depression ever. Um, I feel like it's a very taboo topic and there isn't a lot out about it. Um, you really have to search for it and search for the resources. And I think with depression especially, it's so hard to go get help and search for those resources in the midst of it. Yeah, and, you know, those resources are certainly available, uh, you know, to college students. Um, I, I certainly know this because I worked on campuses for 13 years as a psychologist. So, you know, um, they're certainly there um, now just because they're there doesn't mean that students are necessarily seeking them out. And uh, the numbers are, they're pretty staggering. And whenever I go out and do talks to parent groups or student groups or, or, or whatnot, and I start to cite some of these numbers, you know, people's eyes widen in shock, not knowing how pervasive it is. And I think that one of the things that a lot of college kids experience is that oftentimes they feel like they're the only ones going through it and that could be a pretty lonely place it is i wish people talked about it more and i'm glad we're talking about it because as you were saying the numbers are staggering they're so high 
but depression makes you feel like you're alone and you're not. So if we can create a conversation and find those resources, maybe other college students can get together and find people that are experiencing the same thing so they can collaborate and help each other out. Right. So, you know, knowing that, you know, as I mentioned before, like everybody's, everybody has a different experience of depression. There are different types of depression. There are uh, depressive episodes that occur uh, as a result of some type of experience. It could be a loss of a loved one, for example, um, or, or, or some other life experience. And then there is also more chronic depression. You know, I've always kind of felt this way. I've always felt sad or fatigued or lack of motivation or angry and et cetera. But it's sort of been this pervasive chronic experience. And then sort of all these other things that come in between those two experiences. Um, so there's a whole a host of things that we could talk about. But I know one of the biggest questions that you had, and it's probably pretty timely because it's February, is this whole winter depression thing. It's confusing as to why in the winter depression spikes up as much as it does. And I was just going to ask you, why Why does that occur? Well, you know, it, it, it's a great question. And I think there's certainly uh, uh, a seasonal factor that, that comes into play. So... You know, let, let, let's think about it. Like, you know, uh, and in particular, and this occurs across the country. I'm not just, you know, singling out the Northeast um, where winters are a little bit more challenging. But, you know, um, lack of sunlight, uh, less time outside, more likely to talk ourselves out of getting up and going to the gym or exercising or being with friends because it's too cold out, et cetera. So there's, there's a lot of lifestyle choices that go into this increase in addition to just sort of naturally occurring things like less sunlight, weather changes, gets darker earlier. Um, when we're not exposed to the sun as much, we have lower vitamin D levels. So there's this confluence of factors that start to emerge, all of which can fuel the experience of depression. And that's in addition to any one pre-existing experience of depression or any current symptoms of depression, um, negative experiences that people have, um, negative thought patterns. So it all gets fueled, really. And, and it's at this time of year where, yes, you will absolutely see a spike. And how do you think, in your experience, a college student going through this what are some tips or tricks to help them change that lifestyle and encourage themselves to get up or go to the gym, like you were saying, even go to class? I know I've seen online the sunlight lamps that you put in your room. I don't know if those actually work, but 
something I've heard about. Is there anything like that or other lifestyle tips that you have um, for a college student going through seasonal depression? Yeah, the light therapy stuff is really quite great. Whether it is cool uh, might be a bigger question for a, a college student. You know, like, do they want to be walking around with that thing? Or, you know, do they want anybody coming into the room and seeing it? Because then the question is obvious. What is that? You know, and, and, and so that might create a little bit of challenge and, and maybe lead people to not use something that could be an effective tool. Um, I think it's really, really important to understand that for as unique as people's depressive experiences are, it's as unique for each person to find their own way through it, right? So one's coping strategies might be different than someone else's. There might be someone who might benefit from consulting with a psychiatrist and taking a medicine and doing psychotherapy alongside of that. There might be someone else who doesn't go the medication route and focuses more on food and nutrition uh, and exercise and those lifestyle choices. So everybody's formula to it in terms of addressing it varies. And what works for me might not work for you. So there's a variety of, of strategies that people can utilize. I think that certainly consulting with a professional who has extensive experience in assessing and treating depression is critical. And those are available on college campuses. Every college campus has a counseling center. Knowing though that there is such a huge critical uh, impact of lifestyle factors to consider. So, and I named a couple of them, you know, uh, exercise, socializing, uh, and the big one really, Libby, and, and probably the biggest one that ha that we've recognized over the past decade or so is nutrition. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there is a direct relationship between gut health, brain health, and mental health, and it's there's, there's really no disputing it anymore. So if we're not taking care of our gut and prioritizing it, and we want this depressive thing to go away, that's going to be difficult. That's something I've learned um, as a college student. It's, it's hard to cook and go to the grocery all the time, just keep stock of everything. And if the dining halls don't have what you're looking for, it's even harder. But do you have any suggestions for quick foods or types of foods that will help your gut health? You know, foods that fuel your brain more than others? Yeah, so, so gut-friendly foods, it's a quick Google search. And, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to answer that question, though I want to be uh, cognizant that everybody's dietary choices may be different too, right? And so, but to prioritize gut health with gut-friendly foods, absolutely. Um, now, for 
and I want to be sensitive to people who are vegetarian, vegan, you know, carnivores across the board. You know, you can find those types of foods. You know, so if I were to say to someone, and then if I said it to a college kid, they might be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like if I said, you know, okay, let's start every morning with drinking, you know, two to three cups of warmed, simmered uh, water with half a lemon squeezed into it, um, followed by like, you know, a cup of bone broth. <laughs> they might be like, well, you're crazy. I'm not, they don't serve that in the cafe at LaSalle <laughs> or any other school. Though, though we're, we are ultimately responsible to start taking charge of our mental health, and that's one easy way to do it. Uh, so, you know, foods that are um, probiotic, you know, enriched, um, those types of, of, of foods and, you know, uh, beverages are, are really key. And it's not only consuming the foods that are really gut friendly and good for us. It's also avoiding the foods that are not. <laughs> yeah. You know, so if we're in Philly and talking about bone broth and <laughs> sipping on that during the day because it's gut friendly, but then in the afternoon or late night, we, you know, we're driving down to Pat Steaks and having, you know, a cheesesteak at two o'clock in the morning. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> as delicious as they are. I don't know that that's the answer either. As I was saying before, such a struggle with college students is having those foods available. Um, so I know I'm always trying to find quick things to eat. I've heard that protein helps your brain uh, mental health. And so, you know, I'll make like a quick peanut butter sandwich or um, ham sandwich or something like that. But again, if you're in a dorm with no kitchen, it's worth a Google search to find some things that you don't need a stove for um, or anything to heat up. And just having snacks or protein bars on hand is has really been key for me, especially as an athlete. When I go out and play golf, I always have something in my bag with me because I get tired and golf is such a mental sport and I can feel when I haven't eaten that my game goes down because I'm not mentally at the top of my game. So I noticed that a lot and again, always have something with me. When I start to notice that I'm not playing as well, I eat something and that typically always does the trick. Yeah, and you know, I, I think we're talking about one of the most important aspects of, of mental health in general, let alone you know, depression in, in terms of like the gut health and the role of uh, food as medicine. Really. Um, so let's dial in a little bit more specifically here, right? So when we talk about proteins and lean proteins, awesome choices, right? The other big, big important choice though are really, really good fats. And because, let's think about it, our brain, it's like 60% fat. So our brain needs fat for fuel and to function well. Now in turn, you know, if we think about something like depression, right? Lots of the medications that are used to treat depression, drugs like Lexapro and uh, Prozac and, and Zoloft, you know, just to name a couple, they target serotonin and make serotonin more available. It's a neurotransmitter. And it's been known for decades to be associated with mood. But here's a trick. 
or is an inside reality. The far majority of serotonin receptors are found in the lining of our gut. So if you take those medicines and have a crappy diet, eh, you know, how effective are those medicines really? Or are you eating foods that are, um, again, gut friendly and are going to enhance the availability um, of serotonin? So direct relationship with mood. It's very interesting to think about because I know a lot of people take medication and that's not something that I ever would have thought of that it wouldn't work if or work as effectively if you weren't matching that with good diet and health. Right. And that's it's a great insight, Libby. Right. And, and I think that a lot of us in the mental health field drop the ball on that, that there is a very quick um, uh, response to when a professional listens to symptoms of depression and I'm going to treat this symptom with a medicine, right? A prescribed medicine rather than a range of lifestyle choices. They need to occur alongside of the medicine if someone's going to take it, right? To, to really maximize their um, effort and um, efficacy to treat depression. It look, uh, mental health and optimal mental health and overcoming depression, make no mistake about it on any level. It takes work. You know, it's not just, okay, I'm going to take this Lexapro or I'm going to take the Zoloft and I'm good to go. It'll, it may help. Um, but remember, you know, everyone's uh, chemistry is a little bit different everybody's response to those medicines is a little bit different. And, you know, as a college student, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had these discussions with people who, who may take these medicines, but ones, if, if someone says like, Oh, I take Lexapro, you should take it. Nah, that's not necessarily great advice. And going back into how that correlates with the seasonal depression, mm-hmm. saying as mental health takes work and effort in the middle of a depressive episode, especially, you know, in the middle of February, what can you do if you don't want to, you don't want to go get groceries, you don't want to go out and exercise or be around your friends? I think it, it gets harder to stay on top of keeping your gut healthy and, you know, what your therapist or health professional is saying that you need to do. Are there any tips that you have for kind of getting past that? Yeah, well, for the first tip is really the understanding, the insight of what's going on. So when we think about depression, we think about it in a couple of different ways. One of the ways is severity, right? So or is it mild depression? Is it moderate or is it severe? What you just described where there's sort of this uh, lack of motivation an interest in whether it's socializing, maybe it's academics, going to class, maybe like somebody doesn't give a shit anymore uh, if they're not doing well or they're not accepting invitations to go to parties or or all the up, really. And I'm not really wanting to go to the store. We're, we're, We're talking about some moderate scratching, maybe some severe symptoms of it. So what's really... Uh, key to understand there 
is that there's this very uh, there's this very odd um, experience that occurs. It's this inverse relationship that occurs. So imagine as depressive symptoms increase in intensity. So imagine an arrow going up in the air. What we often see this time of year is another arrow going down, which is an arrow indicative of self-care. So as depressive symptoms increase, self-care decreases. We have to work hard to make sure that the self-care increases. It's how we would, if we, if we got wounded physically, we would prioritize it, hopefully. We would seek out specialists and physicians and we would get help. And we would prioritize it. We have to do the same thing with depression. That's a great point. And going on the, the term of self-care, I think in our generation in today's world, it's like taking a shower and putting on a face mask, which is not at all, that's great, but that's not really the self-care that we're trying to get at here. And it's important to note how the definition of that term has kind of changed over time. Um, so I think it's important that you pointed out that is maybe seeking help from a health professional or really getting in tune with your diet and exercise, not just taking one day to do your nails or something like that. Um, that definition has changed, but I think originally what it what it meant is the most important, especially for somebody going through that depression, whether it's seasonal or happens all the time. Um, it's something to note that self-care is more than more than that. It's true. And, you know, it, it's. Those sort of images that you that you just highlighted, right, or the, those experiences that you just highlighted of getting your nails done or, you know, getting, you know, taking a shower and like putting on makeup or a face mask or whatever it is. If that's part of a person's routine and they're not doing it anymore, it's something to really pay attention to. You know, if we're kind of sitting with just negative thinking and sad feelings and um, and we recognize that, wow, like I haven't showered in a few days or I haven't done a weekly face mask and I normally do that or whatever, that's we're actually imagine like those are signals that something's up right it's kind of like our our body and mind are kind of poking us to pay attention and it's important that we do that you know ultimately we're responsible for it we are responsible for our psychological health it's just that i think a lot of people um don't necessarily prioritize it and that they ought it, it, it it's not you know your physical health and, and and psychological health are not one and two they're both one they they go together and i think that brings us to another topic of if you're 
realizing that a friend or family member, other student that you're in a class with, isn't following their normal routine or looks like they haven't been taking care of themselves, how do you as a bystander in that situation handle that or reach out to them? That scenario, uh, hundreds of times I've had this conversation with students, whether it's one student that's worried about their roommate, whether it's a a group of sorority women that are worried about someone in the sorority or, or people on a sports team that are worried about their teammate or any, any of it really. Um, and this question, big question of like, well, how do I help others? when I'm concerned is a really important one. And look, I mean, I don't know. Did you ever take a class in that in high school? I did not. Okay. Me either. And, um, I know that we went to high schools like decades apart, but like, yeah. Um, that, and did, do you remember it being, did you take the ACT? Sorry. I did. If I'm asking that. Yeah. You took it? I did. All right. Was there a question on there about it? No. Now my, uh, well, we didn't take the ACT back then, but like the SPDs, no question on it. This is a very, very real, common, frequent uh, challenge and experience. And so it really, it's one of these sort of life tests for college kids on like, well, how do I handle this? Like I see it. I recognize that there's a problem. Now, what do I do about it? Right. So what are, what are the potential, what are the, what are the choices there? Like, have you heard anything or? Um, I know I've heard reach out to somebody like an adult to help them. But I think in that situation, even adults sometimes don't know what to do. If it's a coach or um, trainer, if they don't know the mental health resources on campus, I think they struggle to help too. And again, it's such a taboo topic. How do you go to a coach to say that? And is the coach going to want to talk to the player? Is the player going to agree to talk to the coach or the health professional? I think as the bystander, you get really caught in between. You want to protect them, but you don't want to harm them even more by disclosing information that they didn't want disclosed. All agree on all those points. All, all of those are very realistic scenarios. In addition to that, kids worry about, well, if I say something, is it going to jeopardize the friendship? Yeah. You know, if I call, if I call my friend's parents and say, like, hey, your your daughter, your your son, who's a friend of mine, is suicidal. What they worry about the impact of that, right? So that might lead them to avoid approaching someone. So my suggestion is always there are campus resources. You can you can make an appointment with someone in counseling services to discuss and brainstorm how to approach that friend, what to say. Usually it would be something like express your concern, be very specific about what you're concerned about and you know, offer to um, offer suggestions of places where they can get help. And it's a very simple formula. Now, the big question, though, becomes 
is the recipient of that, is the person that you're concerned about that going to be receptive and follow through? And that is a question that plagues so many people about, you know, the issue of being ready to address it. it it's a huge issue in therapy. Everybody else might recognize that there's a problem going on for this person, but that person might not be ready to address it. So going to uh, a resident advisor, going to someone in counseling services, or now at most schools, there's some kind of behavioral intervention team. So if you go on your campus's website, which nobody probably does, but if they do, <laughs> and you follow a link for either health services, counseling services, or the Dean of Students office, there should be some kind of a link for students of concern. And there's oftentimes either an anonymous hotline or a form that students can fill out or an appointment that they could set up to go and discuss what their concerns are. And if it's severe enough, those staff members might be the ones that approach the student. Some great insight for anybody that's experiencing kind of a bystander situation. Do you think, in general, if a bystander expresses their concern to the student, the student's going to be thankful that they did and maybe realize that they need help more than they would have if that student didn't, didn't say something? Potentially. Right. I mean, yes, potentially. I think that, you know, you're bringing up a really good point, and, and that's, that's one of the things that makes people very anxious about approaching that person and expressing their concern, is the uncertainty of the person's response. And it often leads people not to say anything and to continue to watch it unravel. Whereas we have to remember that we're not necessarily, we're not at all responsible for the person's response. And we have to alleviate the pressure of that, that, that often people put on this. So, well, what if they don't get help? Or what if they don't do this? Well, you're right. Maybe they're not aware though. And now as a caring friend, like, and that's why the approach is so critical. It's kind of like, you know, if, if, if you and I are, you know, friends in college and, and, and you say to me, you know, Hey, Joel, um, I, you know, I'm concerned. I really value our friendship. I'm concerned. You know, I've been seeing this lately, you know, is everything okay? And, you know, certainly there's people here on campus that are, are really great to talk to that you can talk to. You haven't called me a name. You haven't outed me to anyone. All you did was express your concern and you were specific about what it is about my behavior that is concerning. You don't go out anymore or you're not really talking to anybody. And it's not just a day, Joel, like it's been like a week. Yeah, I've gone to class, you've been drinking too much, whatever those specifics are. And ideally, Libby, it would be you and someone else. You could do it one-on-one, -on -one, but ideally if it's more than one person you know if it's another person that can sit there and validate it without attacking the person that's critical and another thing that you said in that 
example was I value your friendship and that's something I think a lot of people need to hear before a tough conversation like that is hey I don't hate you I'm just looking out for you and I want to keep our friendship I don't want to out you I'm just here to support you and I think that's important as well along with the specifics of what their concerns are yeah absolutely and um you know we want to we want to be very mindful of um the language that we use so if, if we start with an i statement i'm concerned about you i value our friendship and i'm noticing this this and this the second we come out with you're this or you're that or you're doing this well that potentiates some um, defensiveness and guardedness and that a, a person might be like get away from me or some other language that's not desirable yeah it sounds more accusatory exactly exactly you know so it's it's a delicate conversation it's also a very important conversation um, and it's one of those, if we think about, you know, our, our initial conversations, even before launching the podcast, it's, it's kind of like, look, college is about personal development. It's about, you know, things that don't land on a transcript. This is one of them. Yeah. That's a great point. And going back to what we talked about in our last podcast about accountability, that bystander can become an accountability partner to help that person get help and really develop into who they're going to be as an adult. And I think you make a great point. That is what college is about. And, you know, of course you want to do well in classes and everything, but it's the first time a lot of people are on their own and living by themselves that lends hand to a lot of mental health problems um, coming to the surface. So having those bystanders take the step and speak up using those I statements, like your example, I think is really important. And as mental health becomes not such a stigma and the resources get better on college campuses, I think this problem can be resolved to a point. I hope so. And, I, you know, I, I hope it occurs across all student groups and, you know, um, and, and student athletes, no exception. I mean, absolutely. You know, yeah, we're trying real hard to, you know, emphasize um, and increase mental health awareness among student athletes and let them, the athletes know that, like, hey, you know, we're here for you. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're here to help, you know, through any experience of depression, which could occur for a variety of reasons. And you remember, just because you're a student athlete, I know you're a superstar, um, but you're 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 a person too. You're a student as well. Yeah, absolutely. And with student athletes as well, mental health can become a little bit more apparent quicker because you have a whole team of people and a whole staff of people there watching your every move. So if you're not performing as well, if your head's not in it, more people are going to notice like, hey, you're not going to practice. You're not performing at practice. Um, you're late every day. People are going to call you out on it a little bit more. But 
I think teammates need to learn how to approach and coaches need to learn how to approach the athlete in a way that isn't accusatory like we were talking about. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think the coaches are uh, certainly starting to, and at some schools they have been like, I, I mean, I have to tell you, like I was, I mean, my, my first job out of graduate school, uh, working at Lehigh university, I was, I was shocked and in a good way about how integrated, um, psychological services was with the athletic program, every team. I mean, you know, I worked as a sports psychologist with the women's basketball team for five years there. And I'd go to practice. Sometimes I would practice with them. And uh, fortunately, I played basketball, so I knew what I was doing. Um, uh, but what it, what it created, and, and my boss was a sports psychologist and, and one of the other staff members, like we, we, were, we were at practice the whole time and uh games all the time i traveled with the team for five years sat on the bench so what it created i mean i didn't see you know many of those people individually though it was there was an anchored resource in that department they knew who we we were and they knew where to get help and they knew who to ask and that's the key to a lot of it for athletes is if I'm going through something, who is my contact? Who do I go to? And some schools, it's very apparent. and other schools, that's something they really need to work on and getting those mental health resources out. Sometimes it needs to be more than an email. Maybe get all of the students together, send them down, have a meeting. Hey, this is what you need to do if you're experiencing mental health issues or need a resource come to the coach first, go to your athletic trainer, we'll refer you to this person. We need to know step-by-step, step, what do we do? Absolutely, and I'll tell you, the athletes that showed up, and there were many who showed up you know, individually, like, they loved it. I mean, it was hard work, but some of them, like, you know, you get these, <laughs> these like, monster football players that would come in and just, like, I just, like, this couch in my office there and they would just like sprawl out and be like, this is great you know coach is a pain in the ass today and whatever and they could just unload whether it was stress or whether it was you know certainly you know some more serious stuff like depression or anxiety or panic or recovering from an injury i mean a, a number of things that you and i will get to in in other episodes but like the value of it as a resource and that wow this is going to make me better as an athlete, as a person, it's a resource. It's like having another person in my life that is going to help me get the best out of myself. Once people, once athletes wrap their heads around that in terms of what we do in mental health, it can be great. It's great that more colleges are getting sports psychologists and psychologists that are just specific for the athletes because it's very important and hopefully athletes will start to realize the benefits of it as time goes on and the profession becomes more popular. Yeah, and we're going to make it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going we're to do our best to help, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. I think it was really, you know, great stuff to, to cover. I think we really covered a lot. And depression something, you know, that we'll certainly cover in other episodes as well. Um, 
you know, we want to thank everybody for, for tuning in. And I know that Libby's going to include an email um, because a couple of people have asked about like, hey, we want to ask questions. We want you all to include uh, these in, in, in upcoming episodes and we want to get to your questions. We want to answer them, um, especially among you college students that are listening and subscribing, hopefully, and telling your friends about it. Uh, so we're going to post that. And uh, you can email us. We're not going to give your name away or anything like that. Um, and so be sure to do that. We want to thank you for, for tuning in. I want to thank uh, Libby again for her work and, and uh, really enjoying uh, working together on this podcast. So Libby, thanks for, for joining us tonight. Yep. Thanks for having me as always. Awesome. So we look forward to connecting with you all sometime soon. Thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you all soon. Take care.